Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG and online at kpcg.fm. Coming up on this Tuesday edition, we've got some uh, stories to look at that are kind of interesting uh, about health and some uh, good ways to have better health and avoid some accidents that are maybe a little more common than you would think. There's a big crisis in the United States uh, with opioids. Time Magazine has an entire feature on it. The causes of those drugs and why people are getting involved in them are pretty interesting. When you get down to it, we'll take a look at that and more on this edition of Trumpet Radio Live. This is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live at 101.3 KPCG, and we're online at kpcg.fm. We have a live link at thetrumpet.com as well. And if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at kpcg.fm. Any emails you'd like to send, you can send those to comments at kpcg.fm. I'm Dwight Falk, Grant Turgeon here today as well. And uh, we have a, a pretty good start to the day. Uh, some rain coming in later today, apparently. So we've had some rain. Central U.S. has had quite a bit of rain. We're not we're not in the danger of the floods here necessarily. Although in uh, eastern Oklahoma, they've had some cases. I think there was one town that had 12 inches of rain recently, like in the last few days, and we didn't get that. So, but the further you go east and then up north, they're still uh, dealing with potential of some uh, floods. And then California is they're warning their people on the uh, southern coast there. Uh, on the West Coast to uh, be careful because they might have some rain coming in. They're worried about more mudslides. Wow. So it's going to be a rainy day. Yeah, rain is always nice for us here, at least. We always tend to need more and not less. But uh, California, after going through droughts and near water shortages, is now having the problem of killer mudslides. And it's interesting when you look at the comments to the write-up that I was looking at about California the commenters did notice that fact. They said, it seems like there's always droughts, fires, or mudslides in California. It does seem that way, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, people could always say that the weather's generally perfect, but that's if you're not getting rocked by some weather disaster. And maybe that doesn't make the weather hotter or colder, but you're still having some pretty big extremes. For all the Oklahoma City Thunder players that may ever think about fleeing to California... We have to uh, make sure we have that list ready for them. Like, you could go there, but you're going to have to consider these things. Yeah, how many players on our team uh, are actually from there? It's at least Russell Westbrook and Paul George, yep. and I think there's more. Uh, Josh Eustis, I think. So yeah, they're several all f- guys at least. Yeah, so they're from that area, but now here in uh, the Midwest. Actually, it's interesting. One of the best states in the country is uh, is uh, not uh, a coastal state, according to a new uh, study. Um, the best state in the U.S. actually, they say, is Iowa, hmm. if you can believe it. Iowa ranks number one <clears throat> in the infrastructure category and the broadband access metric. They rank number three in healthcare, number four in education, and number five in quality of life. So when they compile all these different metrics that they're looking at, Iowa came in at number one. I've been through Iowa before. Fine. I had no no uh, issues with Iowa. But I, w- I was surprised at that ranked number one. 
Well, it seems like a general rule from my experience of driving through a lot of the Midwestern states and, and being there and then also visiting areas more on the coast that while it is definitely fun to have a vacation out west or out east and, and enjoy some of the big city experiences and the, the other cultural opportunities, when it comes to choosing a place where you want to live and you know have more stability and safety and, and peace of mind, it's a lot easier to pick a Midwestern state, it seems like. Yeah, so for uh, some of those states, I guess, are nice places to visit, but you may not want to live there. <laughs> so, Iowa, right in the middle. Well, uh, California, you, do you really want to get hit by tornado or, uh, I guess, earthquakes there and all these other problems they've been having and then be taxed out of your mind? I mean, that's those are some of the drawbacks you have to consider. Yeah, well, f- and for me, I mean, if I'm just thinking about it, it's the social issues that I would not yeah. want to be part of. We're, we, later in the show, we're going to spend a fair bit of time talking about this um, crisis in America, this opioid addiction. And uh, Time Magazine had a recent whole pictorial. They dedicated the whole uh, magazine to it. And uh, they have different photos and so forth of these people that are having all these different drug problems. You know where most of the pictures are from? Where? San Francisco. Oh, no. Because it's open air. People go out and they do their drugs. Oh. So, you know, if you're thinking about quality of life and you're thinking about raising a family... I'm sure it's like any big city. You could avoid those places, but, y- you know, you'd want to be... And not to say that Midwestern states don't have those problems. They do. But it's that lifestyle seems to be more promoted on the coasts. Oh, like you said, we do have a lot to talk about regarding that issue today because certain places have already legalized marijuana, even for recreational use. And uh, people try to say it's not a gateway drug, and yet there are so many people who are actually addicted to it and more likely to try other drugs because they've gotten into marijuana. So whenever you take away the stigma of trying a drug because you made it legal, what's going to happen is a lot of people are going to start trying it who never would have before. People who at least are somewhat restrained by law and then will only try it once it's legalized. The problem is once you do that, it could be addictive and it could lead to even worse things. Yeah, we have more to look at on that topic in a little bit. And uh, a couple of uh, good notes before we take a look at that story that's a little difficult is uh, they uh, are looking at diets, and uh, lo and behold, if you have a good diet, it reduces your depression, Hmm. among other things. And so they're finding that now as well, and they have these different diets they talk about. But uh, they're referencing this one particular diet, the DASH diet. But basically, you're um, eating foods that you've always been told to eat, Pretty much fruit, vegetables, whole grain, lean protein, uh, and uh, some dairy that's uh, good for you. And uh, they say uh, it eliminates foods high in fat and sugar-sweetened drinks and sweets. So basically, getting rid of the common Western diet uh, as we know it today, eating healthy foods, and this they, these diets, <laughs> it's funny to call them diets. I mean, it's just the way we should be eating, but they were trying to you know help people lose weight, get... Uh, blood pressure under control and other things. And they did all that, and then they found out that they're actually uh, don't have as much depression either. So, you know, what we're eating doesn't just affect our, our physical bodies. It does affect our minds and our moods and our attitudes as well. Absolutely. And we could all relate to uh, having certain meals that slow us down immediately and, and make us just want to go take a nap or at least quit doing uh, hard, productive things. And then there's other meals where you actually finish them and feel refreshed like you know immediately that you made a good choice so if meals obviously uh, can affect how we feel right away 
feeling bad versus feeling good can obviously have a pretty big effect on your mental state too. Probably part of it too is just if you look better physically and you feel better, that mm. helps you be happier just in a, in a very kind of specific way. Uh, so that's a, an interesting little note. But uh, so avoid the foods that are saturated in fats and basically the processed stuff. So only 98% of what's the grocery store. <laughs> oh, wow. I don't know about that. That's <laughs> that's probably too high of a number. But it, you have to really look and be careful uh, what you buy. And it's been said before that, you know, the outsides of the grocery store uh, are usually the better ones mm-hmm. in terms of not going right into the middle area where all the processed stuff is. A lot of times the outsides are a little bit better. So you get to the checkout line. Right. You want some Doritos, Kit Kats? The How front of the <laughs> store is technically around the outside, but those are the that's probably worse than all the stuff in the middle too. Yeah, they they get you coming and going. They want you to buy those things. They tempt you with them. But uh <laughs> and it's funny how that works too, you know. You can see something that you know you, you shouldn't eat. That bag of chips sitting there maybe on the checkout and it does sort of call to you. But I, I never feel that way about say a carrot. <laughs> I never feel like, boy, I really, you know, I am longing for that carrot. It doesn't affect my brain the same way. Right. I wonder, it would be an interesting experiment to see just what would happen if they replaced all of those different types of gum and chocolate bars and chips and energy drinks with like carrots and celery and tomatoes. <laughs> just see like, would it actually sell more if it was right by the checkout line and people actually had to walk by it? Maybe it would be a different effect as in people would feel guilty that they didn't actually already have that in their cart. Yeah. Maybe if they put up, um, like apples, fruit, you put an apple there, 25 cents mm-hmm. on the way out of the checkout line or, you know, something. Um, I think initially I think that people would kind of balk at that. But I think over time people would actually like it. Because the thing is if you go through that line with your kids, they always see the items and they want them. Um, but if they were just used to seeing fruit, they'd probably say, hey, can I have that banana right. <laughs> or whatever it is? And they probably wouldn't think much of it. So even something like that would be a, a major change. The, the problem, of course, would be that, the shelf life is limited. Like you can't put the banana there and right. then leave it there for two months. <laughs> Not the banana you want to eat anyway. Yeah, that's true. Then you'd have to have the people who bring the produce into the store constantly getting in the way of the checkout lines to swap things in and out. So that's probably one of many reasons why they don't have it set up that way. Yeah, for sure. But they do have farmer's markets and things sometimes that have some of that. It's kind of nice. Here, Here's a health note, another health note that's interesting. Um, and it came into the news because there's this uh, lady that died recently. She's a Bollywood star. If you're familiar with Bollywood, I guess that's in India. It's kind of like their version of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. They have their stars over there. Anyway, uh, she drowned in the bathtub. And it's a cause of death more common than you'd think, they say. Now, there is some debate, I guess, about exactly what happened there. But just looking at this fact that people can actually drown in a bathtub. I mean, you, you wouldn't think about it too much, but it can happen. They say it seems unthinkable that an otherwise healthy person could die this way, but it happens. There are about 110,000 annual bathtub and shower-related accidents in the U.S. each year, and over 75% of fatalities from these injuries happen in children under the age of 5. So as a parent, if you've got a young kid, you have to be careful to not leave them. It, you know, it'd be easy to say, I'll sleep in there for a couple minutes, but you really have to watch because a lot of the younger kids... Uh, can end up drowning, even in a little bit of water. You wouldn't think so, but it can happen. Yeah, and like it says here, 10 deaths per day from accidental drownings in the pool or the bathtub. And it's that's obviously not a huge number compared to some other accidents and, and causes of death. Uh, but 10 a day in the U.S. dying that way 
and probably a lot of them could be prevented like this article shows, especially uh, with the young children. You could be a little bit more diligent and, and stick around them a little bit more, uh, not that let them start doing those things alone too early. Yeah, and and even beyond just the those that die, there's a lot of accidents where there can end up being some pretty serious disabilities because of lack of oxygen to the brain for a while. It only takes four inches of water for someone to drown in a tub, they say. You imagine that four inches. It's nothing. It's like a puddle. But um, it can happen. They say, well, while children often die in unintentional bathtub drownings due to a lack of parental supervision, it's a little different for adults. In adults, accidental drowning in a bathtub often involves alcohol or drugs. Um, People become unaware or confused about their surroundings or even lose consciousness causing them to slump down in the tub and drown. Adults also can simply slip and hit their head, <clears throat> become dazed, and uh, land face down in the bath and drown that way. What a, what a terrible way to go, huh? But it, it can happen, so you, you have to be uh, careful about that. And uh, you, you see advertisements sometimes for these different types of tubs, you know, for old people, that, I think especially that are older, because you don't want to slip, obviously. So anyway, it's just one of those good reminders, I think, if you have kids or just no matter what age you are, <laughs> you know, it could happen. Four inches of water. Yeah, that's really all it takes. And that's pretty amazing to think about. I've, I've tried to lie belly down in the tub before while it's filling up. But obviously, uh, you realize pretty quickly that you, you better get out of that position pretty fast because, yeah, four four inches really is all it takes. So something we don't think about too often, probably, but just a good reminder. Here's another one that. I've actually thought about this, but thankfully it's never happened to me. This, uh, but this is this is something that could happen, so you have to kind of take note. Uh, after unsuspecting mom is crushed in Central Park, how to spot a troublesome tree? Anne Monarchy was walking through New York City's Central Park six months ago with her three sons, which that's very common. Take a nice walk in the park or in a yard or something. And then the unthinkable happened. While on their morning stroll, an elm tree that weighed 3,000 pounds suddenly tipped over and fell on top of them. It broke the lady's neck in four places and her nose, and she also received 10 staples in her head to close a big wound. Her four-year-old son, who was being pushed in a stroller, fractured his skull. And uh, so, anyway, there's some legal issues there they're dealing with. But they say that... uh, if you see a tree and it's got hollow parts in it, uh, and uh, or if it has uh, some sort of decay, often mushrooms growing out of the base of it are a good sign that it's on its way out. <laughs> I have a tree like that. Uh-huh. Um, be careful because those wow. things not only can the branches fall off, but the whole thing could actually tip over. Yeah, that's a really. Those are some great observations that they wouldn't take like a close analysis of a tree. You could just see that as you're walking past and at least be alert to it and, and not be lulled into a false sense of security there yeah so i've i've had i've thought about this occasionally because it seems like here in oklahoma trees don't do very well they grow and then they die and i'll be if say i'm walking around the neighborhood or even in my yard you see a pretty big branch that just snapped off and fell down and you think well you know you could be there you could be under something like that so it is something to pay attention to but like they said if you see uh, indications of decay, including mushrooms at the base. You know, if it's your own tree, I guess maybe do something about it. Or if it's a public area, maybe let somebody know. Uh, Central Park says that they they do go through every year and try to cut out the dead ones. But we've got—I mean, we don't have a lot of big trees here in Oklahoma. But 
at uh, some of the local parks, especially uh, Hayford Park. There's some huge trees there for Oklahoma standards. And, uh, you know, you look at the size of those things and you think, boy, I hope nothing falls over there because <laughs> that means how much they weigh. So you do have to be careful when you're taking a stroll. Yeah, it's just amazing all these different types of accidents or uh, even just causes of death that, that you hear about in the news. And we always think that, well, that could never happen to me. <laughs> but it, it those those same people who experienced that probably thought that too. Yeah, what a, what a freak accident for that family in the park there. Imagine you wouldn't even know what hit you. Yeah. You'd just be walking and all of a sudden there it goes. Uh, here's a note about West Virginia. If uh, we have, I think we have some listeners online in West Virginia, and if they have kids that are going to public school, they're at home today. Why? Because every public school in West Virginia is closed. All 680 public schools in the state's 55 counties are closed because of the ongoing teacher strike there. Don't know if you heard about this or not. West Virginia employs nearly 20,000 classroom teachers in its public schools and has more than 277,000 students enrolled. Teachers hit the picket lines last week demanding, what do you think? Lower wages? No, higher wages <laughs> and better benefits. In 2016, West Virginia ranked 48th in the nation for average teacher salary, according to the National Education Association. So they're on strike. They're wanting uh, higher wages, and so they closed all the schools there in West Virginia. Well, that's definitely not going to be too great for the students, and it's probably harder for a lot of the parents to deal with, too, trying to figure out of where their students, especially if the, both parents work, that then it gets really difficult to figure out what to do with their kids uh, while they're not while they're not in school anymore and they're supposed to be. And it's it's sort of a complicated issue because on the one hand you think that well probably the teachers agreed to the terms of that job at, at in the first place. So unless their job is taking away pay and taking away benefits why would you get upset about something that you already agreed to? Well, and the I think the statistic that they're 48th in the nation for average teacher salary, that could be a little bit misleading because I think that's a sort of a lower income area anyway. So, you know, it's cost of living. It, it all does sort of factor in. Mm -hmm. You couldn't probably pay them the same as you'd have to pay a teacher in in a coastal state because the cost of living would be so much higher. So exactly. your money may not go as far, but uh, we, that, that comes up around here even because there's been some budget shortfalls and then education is one of the things that gets hit. And uh, so people are looking at, uh, look, always looking at that and uh, hopefully they'll get back to school pretty soon. It's a good point you bring out though, beyond just missing school is a lot of people rely on that as sort of the, t where their kids go as they go to work. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, what do you do? <laughs> you just leave them home. You got to pay somebody. I mean, it, it could affect a lot of things. That's probably, and I'm sure the schools know it, the teachers know it, and that's why they're they feel like they probably got a little bit of leverage here. Yeah, and the possibility always seems to come up. Like even here in Oklahoma right now, I believe they're talking about four day school weeks instead of five day school weeks, just to save some money that way. And <laughs> while every student's going to think that's incredible, uh, still the parents are going to have a hard time dealing with it. That's why. That's why teachers would try to leverage it like that. Uh, that doesn't <laughs> probably endear them to the parents very much, though. Yeah, well, I suppose it's like anything. that the, the teachers would have to be a little bit careful because maybe people discover there's different ways of doing it. You know, Maybe they say, well, let's take a look at homeschool or mm -hmm. something like that, But uh, which is more popular these days. But again, not everybody's in a position to try to do that. 
Uh, we want to spend some time on this story today. Uh, there's this drug crisis in America. Of course, it's probably been going on for years and years, but in particular now it's this opioid crisis. And uh, Time Magazine, the latest issue, they their full their whole uh, the magazine is the Opioid Diaries, and uh, they dedicated the entire thing to this crisis. Yeah, the entire uh, magazine and the uh, photographer that went around and took photos talks about what they saw. And they said, uh, over the past 35 years, my work as a photojournalist has taken me to other countries to document wars, uprisings, natural disasters and global health crises. In revisiting my own country, I discovered a national nightmare. But the people living through it. Um, they say are, you know, they're real people. <laughs> they are people that have lives and are trying to have lives, but they're obviously having some real struggles there. But I just thought that was interesting. You know, here this photojournalist has been all over the world, been in war zones and all these things, and then comes back to America uh, for this assignment and has to go around San Francisco and some of these other places and photograph this crisis. So what they did is they took pictures of different people and then they kind of wrote a little thing about what their life is like, what they're going through. People that are on different drugs, the police officers that deal with it, the parents that have lost people, uh, children, the medical responding uh, personnel, all of it. And uh, it was pretty shocking just how, how serious a problem drugs are in the United States right now. Right, especially when a photographer is comparing it to war-torn areas, poverty-stricken third-world countries. Uh, and we have problems like that right here uh, although a lot of the time our prosperity masks a lot of that, there are still people who are are really struggling and, and are caught up in uh, just a horrible addiction in this case. And as we just go through some of this, I think well, it comes back to a few basic causes, and that's that's what we're concerned about is looking at what some of the, the causes are, why, why people end up in this condition. And uh, it's pretty uh, interesting, and I, but I don't think it'll be all that surprising. <clears throat> the uh, Guardian wrote about some of this as well. They had this uh, write-up from a musician, <laughs> and uh, he talked about his uh, his uh, addiction to uh, OxyContin. And uh, so the musician wrote about his drug addiction uh, also in, in a Time magazine recently, and so the Guardian has some of this featured. And he argued it's hard to beat temptation when the doctors are the ones prescribing some of these opioids. But this particular musician uh, laid bare his struggles with addiction, including the uh, controversial uh, prescription painkiller OxyContin. Uh, This guy was born in, uh, 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 let's see, Uh, I guess it doesn't give his exact birthday, but he he said he started when he was 11 years old with drugs. And guess what he started with? Marijuana. That's one one of the things that comes out in all of these stories of these people that have gone through life and they've had all these different addictions. He started uh, at age 11 smoking marijuana, and then after that he proceeded to basically take whatever he could get his hands on through his teens and his 20s, had some close calls with death, and then uh, tried to stop taking drugs um, by age 30. Then he got into an accident, and he needed some painkillers, and then he got addicted to this Oxycontin for a while before he tried to kick that. So he's warning about the dangers of those drugs. But I think what's interesting about his story, and it's the same with a lot of these stories, it started pretty young and it started with marijuana. And so, you know, I know that's not a popular thing nowadays to say because they're legalizing that, but all of these people have the same sort of story and it usually gets back to marijuana. 
Well, this this guy has an interesting life story because it took him 19 years to stop the addictions that started with marijuana from 11 to age 30. Uh, and then later on in life, he deals with a different kind of addiction from the opioids. And he's saying it's basically the same the same result. I mean, you can talk about the opioid crisis all you want to, but on the other hand, in this nation, we're legalizing marijuana. And he's struggled equally, at least, with both of them. Why are we treating one like it's a crisis and the other one like it's a fun drug? Yeah, and even a lot of the people that are talking about their experiences, whether they're famous or just run-of-the-mill individual, uh, they talk about smoking marijuana like it was not a big deal. Oh, it wasn't a big deal. Oh, and then I got into this, into this, into this, into this. And if people have followed uh, Herbert W. Armstrong over the years, he warned about that years ago, that it's a gateway into other addictions, other problems, other drugs, on top of having some drawbacks itself that we'll look at. And this uh, Time magazine goes through and, and gives a story of just some individuals that are having problems now with these more serious drugs, if you want to call them that. This one particular fellow says, I had a career in sales in the automobile business. I was making a lot of money, upwards of $100,000 a year. He says, I always messed around with, you know, pot, but it never truly affected me. That's what he says. <laughs> but now he's addicted to all these expensive and uh, very, very powerful opioids. But he has the same story. But they don't make the connection. They say, well, it's no big deal. I did that stuff and that was fine. But oh, lo and behold, now I'm addicted to these other things. How come they all have the same story? <laughs> you know, and, and so it's something to really consider, especially in the climate that we're in where states are legalizing marijuana. Yeah, I mean, that's it's a pretty clear connection if people wanted to make it. But we've had such a huge push from the media, from entertainment uh, in all forms, trying to glamorize marijuana like it's just it's fun. The hallucinations are just uh, a, a silly side joke in, in these movies where they portray these things uh, and they just act like, oh, well, you know, you can you can eat it or smoke it or do it in any of these different forms. You can just hang out with your friends and do it anytime you want to and then go back to living a normal life. Uh, and sometimes they're even partially honest about it and they actually portray people as having no ambition, no ability to think coherently or to talk the right way. Uh, but people still think, well, oh, it's just funny because it was portrayed in a funny way in these different forms of entertainment. So why can't we get into it in our actual lives, too? Yeah, it's it's made to seem not that serious. This uh, other lady here in Time magazine, she's a mother and her son is going through these problems. And she said, Billy started using substances at a young age. He was probably around 12 or 13 when he started dabbling in marijuana. Same story. Young kid. Dab dabbles in it. Not a big deal, I don't think. Well, now this mother has a homeless son that's addicted to more serious drugs If in terms of like what they'll do to your body uh, immediately. But again, same story. And they just have story after story after story. They all have the same story. And yet at the same time, we're pushing for the legalization of marijuana in the United States, and it is legal in some places. It It's... When are people going to put the the you know connect the dots back to where some of these problems are starting? Right, and why did marijuana become legal in the first place? It it was because a few loud activists pushed for it long enough, and the media and entertainment backed that up, and they said, I guess the people in authority thought, well, enough people are already doing it. 
and they seem to want it to be passed. Is it a vote grab? Are people just passing these policies to please a certain loud segment of the population without even considering what the side effects are going to be? And there's we have more stories today about just the fruits of it and how it's it's terrible everywhere marijuana gets legalized the the environment goes downhill pretty quickly and yet still people are not leaders are not changing the mis, the mistakes they're not fixing what they did wrong and admitting they were wrong and another thing that that ties right into the the marijuana issues is people that are into these serious drug problems a lot of times have broken families <clears throat> to where either uh in some cases, they said there was so much screaming in the house between people that they wanted to get away from it any way they could. In other cases, there wasn't a lot of fighting, but there wasn't any discipline either. And some, there's a, even an example where the, the dad was involved with the kids. He's the one that got them going on it. So in either case, either way you look at it, whether it's argue, arguing and so forth or if it's just anything goes, you have broken families, you have early dabbling in, uh, dabbling as they call it, in marijuana, and then by the time they're a few years down the track from that, now here they are out there getting their picture taken for Time Magazine under a bridge. Yeah, that's really a tragedy, and, and they're getting it taken under a bridge because they don't have a home anymore, because they have t- completely failed in life. It's all because of the drugs, and we can easily see, recognize, for some reason, how bad opioids are. And this this singer you were talking about, or this bassist you were talking about earlier, said that he would take one OxyContin pill a day and he would lose all of his emotions, all of his feeling, and just was a bad influence on his kids. He wasn't involved in their lives anymore and became depressed. And at any time, he could just he could just go to the doctor's office and get a refill of this. He's only taking one a day, and that's not even considering all the people who take them constantly because they're horribly addicted to it. And yet here he is, he's had the same experience with marijuana, and we just brush that aside like, oh, well, it's fine to just do it once in a while. They're they're both producing the exact same effects, so why can't we discern that they're both bad to do? Yeah, and, and we've, I think, lost that battle against you know marijuana here in the U.S., it feels like. Well, how long is it going to be before we just decide that opioids aren't, aren't a crisis? If enough people are struggling and are addicted to them, why don't we just ignore that it's a problem anymore? That's what we've done with marijuana. It's not like all of a sudden in the last few years, marijuana became beneficial to people and started helping them live better lives. It's just that we decided to legalize it and take away the stigma from it and completely ignore all the problems that it's created. Yeah, there's, there's CNN has some write-ups about this too. A lot of these outlets are kind of looking at this same crisis because it is a crisis with the opioids. And uh, they talk about this one individual... Uh, They say Todd can't point to anything that drove him to drugs. He was a typical suburban high school student who uh, dabbled in weed. Are they they reading off the same script? Yeah. They're all writing the exact same thing, and none of them are pointing out the clear cause here. Yeah. He he can't point to anything that drove him to drugs other than he did drugs. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's so clear. It's just they all say the same basic thing, and then, of course, the stories maybe have a little different turns here or there, but for the most part, then they just ramp up what they're taking because they want it to be more exciting. And lo and behold, they have these problems. He uh, Then at 15, this fellow, he took this opioid that his mother left lying around the house. She was recovering from surgery, so she had a, a um, prescription for it. So he took one. <laughs> he said, the feeling in my head was, I want to feel like this for the rest of my life. And so lo and behold, 
he does have a life of drugs. He said, I've always wanted to see the world. I've never been outside the country because I can't leave. I'm chained where I'm at. It's a prison. So it started out like fun and games. He thought it was great. And now he says, I am in prison (laughs) in his own addiction. (laughs) These stories are all in the same and they're horrifying. And when people get to that stage, it's very difficult. What do you do? Because they're so addicted to it. So the point we're trying to bring out is look at the beginning and stay away from the beginning of it so you don't end up in a prison. That's exactly what it is. All these people are trying to address the effects now with millions of people struggling with addiction to various types of drugs. We're trying to figure out a way to break the addiction instead of maybe just not getting into it in the first place, not acting like certain drugs are okay to take and eventually other ones will be okay. You have to say no to every single one of them. You have to address why someone would even turn to drugs in the first place. What is wrong with these people's lives that they have to get into drugs? Uh, It's never popped up in my head that I needed to go try drugs to be happy, that you shouldn't have to do that if you're living uh, a decent way. I'm not just trying to say that everyone who hasn't done drugs before is perfect but you you have to be doing something pretty severely wrong to even turn that way and once once that direction begins it's hard to turn from another example of a fellow named matthew he uh, had anxiety and depression well we've heard a lot about that lately so uh he started what self-medicating with marijuana and other drugs and now it's not even like you said it's not even going to be illegal in a lot of places uh, the stigmatism or, or the stigma of it is gone. Uh, and then there's, of course, other examples too. It just goes on and on and on. But it all goes back to that basic broken family, bad situation at the home, and then uh, young kids deciding that they're going to start smoking marijuana. And now here they are, and we have an opioid crisis in the country, and that all begins basically in the same place. Uh, Bruce Langos, he's an executive director of the Criminal Intelligence Center at Montgomery County Sheriff's Office in Dayton, Ohio, said this. If there was a terrorist that showed up in Montgomery County today and shot 50 people, or 25, or 10 for that matter, this community would be in an uproar. There would be an army here trying to stop it, but that's exactly where we are with this drug crisis. Who's showing up to stop it? Because if you look at the number of people that die from these these, uh, addictions, it is high. It's very, it's very high. The numbers are very high, and uh, and then and some of the stories are just so tragic. I mean, we don't want to get into them, but you know, these are young people. These are people that are supposed to be parents in some cases. These are people that are going to have children that are also addicted to the same thing. It's an ongoing crisis, and here everyone's looking at this crisis. The president came out recently and said, "We have this crisis. We need to put more money into stopping it," which is not a, I mean, it's a good idea in a sense, but. You know, when I when I read through things like this and I see this crisis, I'm so happy n- I never started down that path. Mm-hmm. What? How much? How much monetary value do you put on not having this problem? You know, because we all think about uh, money, I guess, in some ways. And what would it be worth for that fellow that said he's in prison to get out of that prison he's in? What would he pay to do it? Because he pays a lot to stay in it, right? <laughs> and and but at this point, when they're so addicted and it's so ingrained and their brain chemistry is so changed. It is so difficult to get out of it. And so uh, avoiding even the beginning stages of it, which is marijuana, is uh, the key to staying away from these worst problems. Right. And and too many people are turning to lawmakers to try to fix 
the problems that they've fallen into. And it, I mean, we saw that with the <laughs> the gun control debate recently too. It's as if a legislator can write something down on a piece of paper and all of our problems will be solved. What about private morality? What about obeying what God says to do instead of falling into these death traps that he has pretty clearly warned about throughout the Bible? Taking taking substances and, and clouding your thinking and not allowing yourself to experience the abundant way of life by just obeying God's laws. God warned about that, and we could all be uh, fixing our own personal lives instead of relying on someone uh, to either legalize marijuana in some cases or to uh, try to start up more drug rehab centers to deal with the opioid crisis. Uh, Why don't we get back to our own personal responsibilities in our own personal lives and take care of our families and see if maybe that'll help fix the entire nation? Yeah, there's uh that's the thing about God's law is that it works so well, but humanly we don't always see it initially. We don't see why it's so beneficial. But then when you do it and you apply it, then down the road you see, wow, look at the difference. You know, it's like two people going down paths that are just a, appear to be just a little different. But then but by 10 miles down the road, you, you know, they're way across <laughs> the way because you've been going the wrong direction. Well, just think about the way that we look at God's law in society where people laugh at that and don't even don't even let that discussion begin. And then we give all power and authority and credibility to man's law. Like writing one law is a solution to the entire problem. Breaking the law is the problem in the first place. Writing a law is not going to help people who are breaking the law start keeping the law. I mean, that's it's pretty obvious that if anything, we should be prioritizing God's law, but even then, people have to be obeying. It's not just a matter of writing down a law and then everything somehow changes and the problem disappears. Right. Or just because they they make it you know legal doesn't mean that the negative consequences go away. <laughs> you know, uh, on a recent Trumpet Daily uh, host, Stephen Flurry said this: Many argue that legalizing marijuana will help solve America's drug addiction. Nothing could be further from the truth. America's drug crisis is a threat to the entire nation, and the solution to the epidemic is not to normalize the use of it, as CNN did on its New Year's Eve broadcast. So he went in. He has a whole Trumpet Daily on that. Uh, if you just if you just search uh, marijuana on the Trumpet site, that that Trumpet Daily will pop up. It's a great listen. But he's referring back to the New Year's celebration. We we talked about that when it happened, as did he. And uh, yeah, they they were they were out there smoking it on TV. They thought it was great. It was great fun. Um, you look at these pictures of these people in their th- throes of opioid addiction, which started with marijuana. It doesn't look like a lot of fun, right? And, and how can CNN now write honest articles about this subject when their network has already glamorized it? Uh, even if they deep down knew they were wrong, it would be pretty hard to admit it now. They've already made it seem like a big fun joke on their New Year's Eve broadcast. They've already made it look like, oh, casually smoking a blunt at at a party is totally fine. Uh, so then when they see that every one of these, these people uh, that, that we've been talking about almost uh, who is addicted to opioids started out in marijuana, it, it wouldn't be great for them to make the connection just because they've already acted like marijuana is so great. Well, even in the write-up I was I was looking at on CNN where they were talking about some of these problems, they even tried to make that a racial issue where they said people only look 
look badly on drugs when it's you know inner city people doing it. Not true. Yeah, <laughs> the effects are the effects. It's terrible. But there's a write up too from the trumpet that uh, Joel Hilliker wrote: marijuana legalization. What are the effects? And he said, November 6 marked five years since Colorado and Washington State voted to approve pot use. What are the fruits growing from this weed? <laughs> the uh, Colorado Springs Gazette marked the anniversary by saying, five years later, we remain an embarrassing cautionary tale. So, okay, here's, here's a state that's been doing it for a while. What, what are the results? The article began by noting the unpleasant uh, hashish, <laughs> hashish, I guess, smell wafting from the warehouse operations along Denver's freeways and in residential neighborhoods where people are growing plants. But other results are more alarming. And here are some of what's happened. For one, homelessness has increased in all of the past five years, giving Colorado some of the nation's highest vagrancy rates. Directors of homeless shelters and people who live on the streets tell us homeless substances, substance abusers migrate there for easy access to pot. So the homeless are coming, and they're addicted to uh, marijuana and other drugs. Colorado now leads the country in marijuana use among teens. Well, of course. And remember, all those people that are now hooked on opioids, they started smoking marijuana in their teens. In the state's K-12 through schools, drug violations are up 45%, 71% in high schools. School suspensions for drugs are also up 45%. How, but, you know, how can you even do that? How can you even suspend these kids when the parents are doing it? Ugh. And they say, well, you know, you're just not old enough yet. They're, of course they're going to do it. So I, you know what will probably happen? They'll just say, you know what, it's not a violation anymore because they don't want to keep suspending everybody. I'm not sure that they'll do that, but that's what they did in Florida with the violent crimes. They stop getting kicking the kids out, and then all of a sudden you get a school shooter. That's exactly what Mr. Stephen Flurry was talking about this morning, where you get rid of zero-tolerance laws in schools uh, where you can suspend kids who are a problem, and you just uh, basically allow them to mess up the environment for everyone else. Uh, we're, we're probably not too far away from that in Colorado and some of these other places where everyone's doing the drugs apparently it's probably like half of each high school is is doing it so are you really going to strictly punish half of them or are you just going to maybe eventually do away with the law or at least turn a blind eye to the infraction um, when i went to school and i mean we're talking late 90s mid late 90s here you know it wasn't legal for teens to smoke whether it would be tobacco or marijuana but people did mm -hmm. but it was and they do it just right across the street from the school in full view of everyone. But, uh, and, you know, you always knew that that crowd was over there. But uh, but now with it being completely legalized, uh, not for the young people, but legalized for the adults, uh, I can just imagine how that's shot up. Even when it was illegal, there were still a few that took their chance on it. And now, like, these numbers show, yeah, people are just going to keep doing it over and over again. Um, Mr. Hilliker writes that he, he recently had done a radio interview with holistic nutritionist York Mardian on the Trumpet Hour program. You can go back and find that one if you want to, about marijuana. And he discussed evidence that uh, cannabis hijacks normal brain functioning in teens. And many scientists believe it may have permanent effects on brain development. Studies show that in teens who use marijuana, memory-related structures in the brain shrink and knowledge and verbal ability significantly decline. The National Academy of Sciences says a marijuana habit can cause a permanent loss in IQ. You'd have to say that Colorado's teens are worse off after lifting the pot ban. Isn't it interesting, though, like there is such a outcry against football because of the way it affects people's brains when they hit their heads, which, you know, that is something to consider. 
Uh, but then on the other hand, go ahead and, and have all your drugs. We'll get to the same basic results, just do it in a different way. Ugh. Because, I mean, if your IQ is being lowered, if you're having a hard time remembering, that sounds a lot like what happens when you have a bunch of concussions. That reminds me of one uh, kid in in uh, middle school with me, and he was pretty well known to uh, do marijuana quite a lot. And this kid's pulse wouldn't register on, on any sort of technological device that was hooked <laughs> up to him. Uh, and, and and yet, you know, people people didn't really care. They thought it was funny. They thought he was an enjoyable person to be around simply because he was barely alive. He wasn't he wasn't going to confront anybody or be belligerent about anything, so they just thought it was fine. Uh, but we all have probably experienced people like that and just we have to wonder what's going to happen to them when they're no longer in middle school, no longer living with their parents and are expected to try to raise families and get jobs and continue to build society. Is that are those the types of people that we want ruling over us eventually in the future? Obviously not. I mean, it's just a habit that leads to just being a complete dolt, basically. Yeah, and also those people get behind the wheel wheel of uh, vehicles. Ugh. Most alarmingly, this write up says since legalization of marijuana, the number of Colorado drivers in fatal crashes who tested positive for marijuana has doubled. The state is proving at the cost of lives lost. Data from the U.S. National Library of Medicine saying that cannabis use doubles a driver's risk of crashing. So you have just some immediate danger signs. And then, of course, that's just looking at marijuana if somebody just stays within that realm. But a lot of people don't stay in that realm. (laughs) And part of it is, and we should all know this from our experience as human beings, if you start to cross the line on something, you typically just keep pushing that line further and further. You know, if you're going to break a little bit of the law, you're probably going to break a little bit more of it in whatever the case might be. You know, it could be as simple as uh, a bag of Doritos. What the, what did they famously say? One of those companies, like, you can't eat just one or something? <laughs> because you kind of can't. Right. <laughs> if it's sitting there and you have one, you're probably going to have another. Mm-hmm. And then another, and then you, told, you ate the whole bag. That's just the way temptation goes. So if you're pushing the boundaries at a very young age on these drugs... You know, it would be it would be ridiculous to think that people are going to stop there. It can, and even if they did, it still has horrible effects. But they keep pushing the line further and further. Well, how do proponents of marijuana even answer the statistics? I mean, Mr. Hilliker writes here that teens who regularly smoke marijuana are 26 times likelier to begin using other drugs by age 21. So simply by not dabbling in weed, as all these articles casually put it. Uh, you could avoid, you could at least make yourself 26 times less likely of getting into LSD or methamphetamines or whoever, ecstasy, whoever knows what else. Uh, is If we all think that these other drugs are a big problem and for some reason don't think marijuana is, at least the, the, the idea that we're 26 less likely, 26 times less likely to get into these other bigger drugs should maybe help us avoid the marijuana start. If you read these stories about these people, and again, it's in this whole Time magazine, and you can find it's all over the media. When you when you find these stories of people, it usually starts with marijuana, and then it goes to something opioids, and then ultimately they usually end up with heroin because it's cheaper, and uh, they can't afford the other thing anymore. Uh, but if you flip that story on its head, how many people say, "Yeah, I I never would get close to marijuana, never even consider it. I would never, I wouldn't even be with the crowd doing that," and then all of a sudden I just started doing heroin. 
Come on. It yeah. doesn't work that way. That would be an extremely rare <laughs> situation. It's always the little incremental uh, stepping over the line, and then it goes further and further. Well, you could you could make that analogy in a lot of different situations. Uh, the the Parkland school shooter didn't just go into a school one day and start murdering people. He the police were called to his house thirty nine times for other problems, and and that's how it always is. You never just see someone explode and go off one day after never doing anything wrong the rest of his life right. uh, it, it's always there are always signs there are always smaller infractions that lead to the big problem uh, and marijuana in, in the case of drugs is very clearly one of those signs or one of those steps that will lead you into the most serious of drugs mr uh, hilliker writes in this article that in so many cases the consequences are demonstrably uh, provably terrible people smoking marijuana. The change is supposedly intended to make us safer, more capable, more inclusive, more enlightened, more tolerant and loving, more morally pure, are actually making us dumber, angrier, more at risk, more confused, more divided, more selfish and isolated, and spiritually adrift. And then, in far too many cases, if people are willing to acknowledge the increase in problems at all, they convince themselves that the solution is to keep doing more of what they're already doing. And that's that's just what we see. You look at the numbers coming out of Colorado after about five or so years of legal uh, legalizing marijuana. Is anyone saying, let's stop this? Let's stop this. Let's learn the lesson here. We're done with this. I, I haven't. I'm, there may be a group or two out there, but I haven't heard much about it. The push is let's just legalize it more and more places, <laughs> despite the clear evidence that it doesn't uh, provide any benefits. And that just recalls uh, what Mr. Herbert W. Armstrong said about how the hardest thing for any human being to do is just to admit he's wrong. Everyone is wrong at some point, but humanly it's just so difficult for us to admit when we've made a mistake and then take action to fix the mistakes. Probably people are thinking now, well, if we stop uh, letting marijuana be legal, we're going to have a lot of people who have gotten into the habit and have come to either enjoy it or become dependent on it, and they're going to be outraged. And so people are too afraid to make the right decision based on some of the backlash they might receive. Yeah. There is a write-up uh, done years ago. This is in, the, I think, the 60s. Uh, Herbert, Mr. Herbert W. Armstrong, when he was uh, the head of Ambassador College, they put out a booklet at the time, New Facts About Marijuana. That was back in the hippie culture when it was starting to get going, for sure. And it, it, there's there's this list of 27 typical reactions due to the use of marijuana. They went through and they got some research where they had interviewed lots of people that use this drug. What what happens to you when you use it? And we're not going to go through all of it, but I think there's a couple interesting points. The first one, this is what people said. This is back in the uh, the 60s. Marijuana makes me unable to operate normally. For instance, drive a car or operate a machine. That was in the, the 60s. The, they knew that that was being talked about. And here you are in Colorado now, and look at the increase in car accidents where the people had marijuana in their system. How many of those are fatalities? I don't know. But you just, just think about that example. If you were to have listened, you know, back then, 40-some years ago, and said, uh, just for the sake of not getting into a car crash, I'm going to avoid this. And everybody did that. How many people would be alive today? Mm. That's it's just one example. They knew that all those years ago, and yet 
ignored it. And now here we have a, what was it, a doubling in car crashes with people that have marijuana in their system? Just that, just that one aspect of it. Well, that whole generation was defined by that drug, it seems like. I mean, they, they were wrecked by marijuana, and people knew the consequences, but they just didn't take it seriously enough. Probably the thinking went that, well, I personally can handle it without being a danger. Uh, and, and yet it turned out that people are, are much more dangerous whenever they do marijuana. That's just so obvious when, when people joke about how they can't see straight, they can't, they can't think right when they're on these drugs. Maybe that should give us some pause and, and, and actually take that a little bit more seriously, especially when it's affecting other people and people are dying from a mistake like that. And just all these things that users mentioned, uh, I thought I was better at music and typing in high school, but it was not so. I flunked out. There's lots of examples of people just saying, I didn't, just don't want to do anything anymore. You know, even if you just look at this particular drug, marijuana, and you look at the list of things, sometimes they're very serious, and sometimes it's not immediately super serious, but if you look at their body of work, so to speak, there's not a lot to look at. You didn't do much of anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you could think you could if, if you took away, like, say, the, the glitz and glamour that they put out there about this drug and you 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 made these exact same sort of arguments about something like uh, uh, a bag of Doritos. And you said, uh, I just don't want to do anything for the rest of my life. I just want to eat Doritos. <laughs> you know, people say, what's the matter with you? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> but that's kind of what's happening to some of these people. Where they just don't want to do anything. They just want to do this drug. And then obviously it gets further and further down the line to where people's lives get absolutely capsized. And then in some cases they end because of well, the more serious addictions. Well, yeah. And how many advertisements for marijuana honestly talk about all of the side effects? I mean, you have all these other prescription drugs that that are required to list the side effects for an entire 30 second commercial yet you, you you don't hear people saying well marijuana makes me panic it makes it, it'll make you lazy it'll make you happy sometimes and silly but then it'll immediately make you sad and angry and stubborn and argumentative uh it, it'll help you uh feel like you have no responsibilities for a second and then all of a sudden uh you'll pretty much lose your mind and be even more depressed than you were before you started smoking it. If you had ads that were honest about marijuana, how many people would actually even try it? Yeah, it's a good question. I saw an ad last night on TV uh, during the news. It was an anti-smoking ad. It was really effective trying to encourage young people not to smoke cigarettes. And so it was a really effective ad. But what's the difference? You, you, they can't do that thing supposedly, but it's okay for them to smoke marijuana. What's the difference? Yeah, the hard thing about those ads is they don't have too much credibility because you know the same people normally are very much pro-marijuana, which is tens and hundreds of times worse than a regular cigarette. It's a major, major issue here in the U.S., and it's uh, worth looking at. Uh, And, of course, the more serious uh, addictions, if you'll call them that, I guess, uh, are talked about in this recent Time magazine on the Opioid Diaries. But all these stories or many of them at least that we looked at today, they all get back to the same causes, which is uh, bad home life, broken homes, and then getting into marijuana at a young age. And here we are in a in a, a society where obviously we're broadcasting around the world and into every state in the U.S. There's lots of states where it's legal today. People can go out and get involved in this and think, hey, it's okay, it's fine. But the thing is, like uh, you mentioned earlier, 
just because man says it's okay doesn't mean that God does. Right. And yeah. So. It's uh it's a horrible mistake to make and it's just it's so clearly not worth it if people could withstand the peer pressure and rise above the societal trends it'll definitely uh, change your life for the better yeah for sure and we don't even know we don't even know probably half of what we'll all find out here in the next few years about some of these things and it won't be in the positive side Mm -hmm. that's for sure so uh, make sure you uh, do stop and check out some of those great write-ups on the uh, trumpet.com about that uh, particular topic today. That's all the time we have here on Trumpet Radio Live. Make sure you listen for the Key of David program of the Trumpet Daily Radio Show coming up. With Grant Turgeon and myself, Dwight Falk. Have a great rest of your day. Talk to you tomorrow. Listening to Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.